Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. The areas where we believe nonsense or silly or whatever things about ourselves and about religion and about God are usually around the areas where we're not convinced or we don't know what Jesus has accomplished for us in that area. You know what I mean? It's like we're ignorant of the the effects of the cross sometimes. It's like we want to make it complicated. We want to leave and try to get into all these different kinds of ideas, and it's like, no, the cross, everything comes out of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So... I'll give you this kind of safeguard, so to speak, and that is anything where you feel like you're confused or you feel a sense of disappointment or you feel like it's not working here, hold it up next to the cross. Look at it in light of what Jesus has done and ask yourself. This should be a question that you ask yourself regularly. Look at different parts of your life and then ask yourself this question. Did Jesus do something about this? Did Jesus do something about this, right? My marriage is in trouble. My finances are hurting. I'm depressed. My kids are on drugs. I can't figure out why this is happening. Did Jesus do something about this? That's where we're going. So this is the second message. The first message I talked about the wrath of God. Do we, are we in expectant of wrath? Just quickly as a review, Jesus was the one time for all sin offering for the entire world. Now, a sin offering, you have to understand the nature of a sin offering is that it absorbs and satisfies the anger and the wrath of God toward whatever is being atoned by the sacrifice. So the sin offering takes the brunt of the anger or the wrath. Jesus is the sin offering for the entire world, not just for your physical sins, but even into eternity so that that sin can be removed and you can be at peace eternally with God. Now, you have to receive that by faith, right? It's not like he just decided to save the whole world through his one act. He offered it to everyone, but you have to say yes and receive it and be born again. You have to be changed at your heart and spirit and become a new creation. Because there are a lot of people that are teaching that idea that it's like Jesus just was the sin offering and now everybody's okay, everybody's saved. No. Say no. So this week we're talking about coupling off of that the wrath of God towards you. God is not holding your sin against you. God is not angry at you. God is not looking at you thinking, I'm really disappointed at their behavior so I need to make their life difficult. No, that was all satisfied in Jesus. He set you free from that, then gave you his grace to empower you to not live that way anymore. You have to connect to his grace so that you walk out of the power of sin. But he's already dealt with the sin. I mean, it's good news. Religion has trouble with that. Religion likes to keep you focused on your behavior, making you wonder, am I maybe I'm not quite doing enough here. 
Maybe I should do this and then God will be happy with. Maybe the reason that I don't have this blessing manifest in my life is because of this particular sin. And, or, or maybe I've got unforgiveness in my heart, so God's not quite yet going to let me have that healing. No, it's you. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you're overcharging your heart rather than letting yourself connect to what God has for you. God's not up there playing puppet master of what you can and can't have. He's given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. All his promises are yes and amen because Jesus is enough in you. Say, Jesus is enough. Jesus, Jesus is, enough. is enough. All right. So this week I want to talk about um, Jesus being enough in you, you know, you being complete in him. But I want to kind of give you a little bit of a historical reference of why some of the letters in the Bible were written, specifically New Testament letters that were written. Paul would go around, the Apostle Paul would go around and start churches, and those churches would get off into usually either legalism or Gnosticism. So a lot of what Paul wrote, a lot of the New Testament that you actually read, it does have doctrine in there for New Covenant identity and salvation by grace through faith and all of that, but it's also addressing a few major issues, two of which are Gnosticism and legalism. So when you read certain things, say like in 1 John, when he's talking about uh, addressing the idea that's like, no, we saw Jesus, we beheld him, we touched him, we were with him. That's addressing the idea of Gnosticism that said Jesus wasn't actually really here. He was just some emanation from God. So Gnosticism is this. There's a few different things about Gnosticism. Gnosticism, it has to do with seeking knowledge or gnosis or information. It's kind of the, where we get the word knowledge in the Greek. Gnosticism crept into the church in, in several ways, and I'll give you a few of them. One big way was it says that this physical realm is evil and the spiritual realm is good. That you need to somehow figure out how to get out of the physical realm and into the spiritual realm to leave the evil and be in the good. Does that sound familiar? Because mm -hmm. sometimes in religion, in Christianity even, you're taught that you're worthless. You're just evil. You're just dirty. You're just an old dirty sinner. When you die, then you can really have the kind of life that, God's, that God wants for you. Or it's, you're taught that your flesh is just inherently wicked and craves sin and craves evil. Now, before you were born again, you didn't have the indwelling spirit of God. You only had the desires and the lusts of your mind and your will and your heart and your flesh. Now you have the spirit of God living within you if you've said yes to Jesus. That changes the influence that you make decisions from. But just because you were without the Spirit of God didn't necessarily mean that you craved evil. God said He created this place because, and, and that it was good. It was perfect and it was holy. And this is the context that God created to live with mankind in. We introduced sin and that's where it all went wrong. But this place in and of itself is not evil. We still think that. We still think that to be in the flesh is to be evil. No, in the flesh just means you're in your own strength. You're limited to your natural resources rather than influenced by the Spirit of God. I'm giving you some history here, and then we'll build where we're going with this. 
So to think that this realm is bad and I need to figure out somehow to get to that spiritual realm has made its way into really kind of more charismatic Christianity than anywhere because it makes us think that we lack because that you're in a body, you lack, so you need to figure out how to be spiritual and go into the spiritual realm. That's Gnostic. That's, it's Gnostic to say that you can't experience the fullness of God in your body because this body is, it's gonna, you're going to die if it touches you. Well, the Spirit of God lives in you and you're not dead. Right? Now, you're not, now, yes, the flesh will change when we pass into eternity and pray who's ready for that, whatever that body's going to look like. But to translate that to say that you are separated from God now because you live in a body and you're evil, but yet inside one day you'll be made righteous and live with Him, it, it, it puts, uh, here's, the, here's the problem that it does. It puts us especially in those, that are, uh, those of us that believe in the gifts of the Spirit and that believe that we can have and hear from God and move and all of that, it puts you in the realm where you feel like you have to somehow leave this place to go somewhere else to connect with Him. And it puts you focused on the external and the, and the phenomenal and, the, like, like Mike said, the miracle rather than the miracle maker. And, and so here's what happens is that if you, if you have that Gnostic pervasive mindset, it makes you think, See, here's the, here's the other thing of Gnostics. I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I'll paint the picture. So evil is, physical is evil, spiritual is good, got to get to spiritual. Another aspect of Gnosticism is that God isn't in touch with the created realm, that there were just emanations out of God. In other words, kind of different, like, like an emanation would be the sun shines its rays down to this earth, but what you feel on your hand is not actually the sun, it's an emanation from the sun and then an emanation from there, and then an emanation from there. You're not actually touching the sun. You're only feeling an aspect of it. That's what an emanation is. So Gnosticism teaches that you're not actually directly connected to God. You're somehow removed from Him. But they would teach, they, Gnostic teachers that crept into the church, would teach that there were countless emanations. So you had to somehow have some kind of mystical experience or get the right revelation or align yourself under the right teacher that had the right revelation so that you could touch this God or the source or the one. Does that make sense? Are you following me? That puts in your mind this thinking that I'm not actually directly in touch with God. I'm in touch with some distant aspect of Him. And, and Paul over and over said, no, He is God, he is God in the flesh. He is a directly from, he is the exact representation of the invisible God. And not only that, but he is in you. That's why there's such a big focus on Paul's corrective letters is to, to instill the mindset and in the, in the truth. God's not separated from you. He's in you. He lives in you. You are in direct contact with God. Amen? Amen. So... In charismatic Christianity, what this does then is because we have been invaded by Gnosticism and because we are so condemned and feel so guilty in our behavior that we think, of course God's separate from us. It sounds really spiritual to have a vision because after all, I'm separated. But if I can have a vision, then maybe I can really be connected with God. No, you're connected with God. 
The vision is only a sign. If you have an experience, praise God for that. But it's not like you somehow became connected because you operated in a gift or had some type of encounter. So Gnosticism in the church today puts you on the path to try to constantly have encounters out of the ordinary. Do you see that? I mean, I, 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 I'm, I know I'm bringing out the scalpel and I'm kind of getting splitting hairs here on this, but I want to set you free from the idea of you thinking that you need to have some kind of encounter to know that God is really with you. That you somehow need to be able to hear the voice of God out there when really God, the essence of the living God is in you as a river flowing up into your life, into your spirit, into your mind, into your body, into your heart, teaching you constantly. Amen. That's what Jesus said. When the Spirit comes, He'll be in you. I and my Father are one, and we will abide with you and in you. That's the promise of the new covenant. You're not separate from God. God is no longer holding your sin against you. There's not Your behavior no longer separates you in your heart from having that connection. Now, let that new spirit supply enough grace to you in your heart so that you are influenced by that, and it changes your behavior. It changes your perspectives. It changes the way you speak. It changes the way you treat people so that you then outwardly in your behavior reflect what has happened within you because you are directly connected to the living God, to the source, not just some emanation of him. Do you see that? Yes. Those of you that kind of come from those kinds of backgrounds, it, it, you know, you, you get it. You, you just always, you always felt like you were on this path of what's the way to connect? What's the, what's the, you know, what's the proper revelation of? I just need a new revelation. I need a fresh anointing. I need more of God. I need the fire to fall. I need something to happen. I need an encounter. <laughs> You've been there? Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> really? It's a big deal. So <clears throat> Paul over and over and over and over and over and over and over addresses the idea Christ is in you. He says it is the mystery of the ages that all the prophets and teachers of the law sought to have an encounter with or sought to know or understand or see, and it's revealed as Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that they were all looking for. God, you mean God can live in me? You mean I'm not separated from God? You mean I'm not having to figure out where the cloud's going to come from? So you're not evil just because you have a body. But you can yield that body to the influence of the lusts of this world, or you can yield it to the influence of the Spirit of God. I want this to sink in, too, because we have been taught that we are bad. And you're really only going to be good when you go to heaven. That's not what God didn't create you as an evil being. We introduced sin into the world, and we yielded to it and pursued evil of our own choice and lust. But you can just turn your influence what you're paying attention to. God is not separate from you. You don't have to figure out how to get the right revelation to connect to him. Some of you, you're thinking, okay, well, it's no big deal. I, didn't know, I knew that. 
But when you really think about the pervasiveness of that old mindset and how we seek to live with God now, it's a game changer. So I want to look at some scripture in light of this because you need to know that you are equipped with the Holy Spirit. You are equipped with everything that God has for you. There's not all of a sudden someday going to be a time that happens when you get there. The revelation that you need is confidence in your heart that he actually already lives in there. That's the revelation. The revelation is not how do I get better at miracles? How do I uh, become better at doing this or that? Externally seeking some Gnostic mystical experience but rather, no, how confident am I that he actually is in me? Because we're promised that he said, this is Jesus' words, when the new covenant happens, I will put my spirit within you. I will send the Holy Spirit. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He will bring to remembrance everything that I've taught you. He will testify of me, he says. And Jesus says, I am your wisdom, your sanctification, and your redemption. Everything that you need is in the Spirit of God. And if you've said yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you in fullness. I got a couple of scriptures here and we'll look at it. But let me just hit on a couple of more things. You know, it's like you could run down this list, right? God sends your fire. Really? Do you know what you're saying? Because it's like you're saying, God, judge me and burn me up. When fire fell, except for once in the New Testament, it was always judgment on the sacrifice. I get it. I get it. I get being in the meetings and it's, you know, everything's going and, the, you know, and you're feeling it, right? And you're, you're wanting God to show up and you're thinking, this is what I need. And then they say, send your fire. I get it, but, it's, but it's, the problem is, what message is that sending to your heart? When you leave, are you thinking, now I've got it? You know what I mean? As if you lacked before. It puts us in a position where we chase out the anointed guest speaker to get their impartation. So maybe, just maybe, if I get them to lay hands on me, then I can be imparted their anointing then I'll be complete. You ever done that? It's a, it's, a, it's a misunderstanding of the finished work of Jesus in you. It's a, it's a Gnostic remnant still in the church that puts you in the perspective of looking to something else other than Jesus and judging yourself to be in lack. Religion is, man, that's where marketing learned it's strengths. Marketing is this. I've got a product. You need my product. I need to convince you that you're in lack until you have my product. Therefore, you're going to want my product because it's going to complete you. Religion does that with the Spirit of God. You lack. You're not quite good enough. After all, look at your behavior. You're not getting as many miracles as this person. There must be something. You need something else. You need more. More. Yes, more. God, I'm so desperate for more of you. What? Now, absolutely you can experience more. I get that. 
But let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 17. Ephesians 1, 17. Flip in your iPhone or your iPad to Ephesians 1, 17. He starts out Ephesians talking about, you need to know that you're a child of God, that you're a son of God, that there is an inheritance for you. He's addressing the issue of legalism and Gnosticism in, bo in both this same letter. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of how to get miracles, in the knowledge of how to connect with God. No, who? In the knowledge of what? that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, that you would know, this is, what, this is what he wants you to know, the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. See, there is, a, there is an aspect of the inheritance that Jesus gets from God in you. When you say yes to Jesus and you are changed into a new creature, Jesus receives more of his inheritance. When you experience the promises that God has made to you that are available because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus experiences his inheritance. It's in you. It's in the saints. He's got everything. What does he need? He wants you to let him self glorify himself through you. Not that Jesus is lacking or that he needs something from you to be complete, but his experience of what God has done for him is more full when you receive what God has for you because of what Jesus did. It's, it's a beautiful picture. And to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, which really is grace. That's what grace is, his power toward us, his influence on our hearts that empowers us, that causes us to believe. The greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. See, he's making this direct connection between Christ and the Father and putting you in the middle of it. And then he addresses the supremacy of Jesus far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now, watch this part. Verse 22 and 23 is interesting. You kind of have to diagram this sentence to really get what he's saying here. So God, in his power, has wrought in Jesus, through Jesus, in you, this and has put all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus to be the head over all things. So Jesus is the head over all things. God in his works gave Jesus to you, the church, say me, verse 23, which is his body, the church is his body. What did he give the church? the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now it's like, okay, yeah, I've read that scripture before. No big deal. But think about this. God gave the fullness of Christ, which is, contains the fullness of God, to you. Meaning, 
there's not a part of God that you don't have. Some of y'all don't pray in tongues. It's in you. You just yield to it. Some of you aren't working miracles. It's in you. Just yield to it. It's not something that you lack. Some of you have struggles with finances and money. Provision is in you because God is in you. There's not an element of God out there that he's withholding from you because there's, there's nothing left to give. He's given you himself in fullness. Is that what the Bible says or what? The fullness of him he's been given, he's given to you. Flip over to Colossians 2. We're going to look at verse 8. So the reason I'm, I'm kind of going basic with this and the reason I'm just hitting it so hard is because I know what the opposite of these kinds of beliefs does to you. It makes you start thinking, well, maybe I'm not enough. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's something more I need to do to become the right kind of Christian that I'm supposed to be. You know, I want you off the religious hamster wheel, fully confident in who Christ is in you and what he's done in you so that God would be glorified through you, so that you can go into the world and tell people this good news. Colossians 2, starting in verse 8, again, he's addressing the idea of Gnosticism. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after, after the tradition of men and the elements of the world, and not after Christ. In other words, don't be falled into this, don't be lulled into this philosophy of, you know, there's a way, there's these hidden laws that you can, if you give on the right day and you put a three on the end of your offering and you give it at, you know, 1.33 in the afternoon, it's going to happen for you. Somebody was telling me this morning they were watching TV and there's a special anointing on a $133 offering. <clears throat> really? That's Gnosticism. That's saying there's a hidden law out there that you can work and then God will, then you can get something from God. Really? So that's a philosophy. That's a vain deceit. That's a tradition. That's not after Christ. Verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete in him. Right? So if you would like the capacity to prophesy and evangelize and see incredible miracle signs and wonders through your ministry, it's already in you. You don't go to some preacher and get them to lay hands on you and give you some kind of gift that God has been withholding from you. It's popular. Some of y'all might not come from those kind of backgrounds, but some of you do. Impartation is this. You stir up the gift that's in them. There is that spiritual kind of connection, right? There is that you can do that, but it's through encouragement and lifting those people up and reminding them and testifying of Jesus. See, the spirit of Jesus, or the testimony of Jesus, is the spirit of prophecy. You say it a different way. The, test, the spirit in which you prophesy testifies of Jesus. Amen. You, you don't need 
me. I am not your spiritual father. I ain't your daddy. But I'm telling you, you laugh, but you know it. This was my covering. I'm out from underneath my covering, and I got sick. Mm, maybe I should go back underneath that covering, because after all, they're my authority. You ever, you ever been taught that? You ever been brought into that mindset? You know, the shepherding movement, that was the strength of it. That's marketing at its worst. You're not enough. You need to be under me. And if you're not under me, I mean, you know, I'm being sarcastic. I'm trying to be a little funny, but only to make you swallow the stuff, that, the dumb stuff you used to believe. <laughs> why, do, why do smart people believe dumb things about God? It's because we aren't established in the finished work of Jesus. You mean I don't need a spiritual daddy to tell me what to do? You don't need, you don't need anybody. You've got, that's what he said. He said, look, when the Spirit comes, you don't need, you, you don't need teachers and preachers. You know, you've got the Spirit of God. My job is to encourage you and to remind you and point to Jesus through this foolishness of preaching, dancing around up here. I don't care what you think about me. Let's look at Jesus, right? Amen. I don't need you to submit to me. Amen. That's improper. That's unhealthy. Amen. That's, that's codependent. Wow. Amen. <clears throat> you should be dependent on Jesus. But this stuff is so prevalent in the church. It is so pervasive. It, and, and, and ultimately, it makes you feel like you're disconnected from God somehow and you need to do something or go through somebody or have some kind of encounter to really be spiritual. When Romans 8 very clearly says, the way you know how you're in the Spirit is this. You want to know how to get in the Spirit? Is that the Spirit of Christ is in you. It's like, wait a minute. I thought there was something I had to do. I thought there was an experience I had to have. I thought there was something else that I could do to be in the Spirit. And he says, no, here's how you know how you're in the Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you. It's very simple. Again, super basic stuff, but I'm telling you, this, these things touch where you try to live your life with God. Because when you start praying and you don't see the answer, where do you go? What do you do? Do you look at yourself and you judge yourself in lack? And so now you've got to do something else to get something from God? Or do you affirm that Jesus paid that price, that he's in you and he's all you need, and he is your wisdom and your sanctification and your redemption and your salvation and your righteousness, and his essence within you as you depend on it and trust in his finished work will manifest into your life that thing that you've been trying to get through some type of religious activity. I'm not against the, the displays, the outward displays of the Spirit. We want that stuff, but let's put it in the proper perspective. Let's not send people chasing for more of God. Let's not send people chasing for a fresh anointing. A what? Press in. Press in. Press in. I, you know what? I've got that in my notes. That was a Gnostic teaching because it's like if you can press in through these different emanations, then eventually you'll get to the, 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 the source, God. So you've got to press through all this stuff to get to God. You know how to press what you've got to press through to get to God? Those dumb things you believe. 
It's, it's, it is. It's here. It's, I mean, what are you going to press through? Okay, this is the last illustration, and we'll wrap up on this, but I am making this up, okay? Just so you know, I didn't pull this out of the Bible. This is an idea. It's just to kind of get your jog your thinking, because sometimes people, you say things, they're like, where'd you get that out of the Bible? This is just an illustration, right? So your eye can only see a certain section of the light perspective, right? There are infrared lights. There are all different kinds of rays that your eye can't see. Just like sound, your ear can only hear a certain section of the sound spectrum. What if, because you, have, you do have this flesh body, not meaning that you're evil, but, but just because you're limited in this body, what if you can only perceive a certain aspect of everything that is rather than heaven's way out there over there, I got to figure out how to connect. Maybe it's just, it's along the same perspective that I'm on, but I just can't always perceive it. But I can when I use the right instruments, when I use the right tools, right? The light spectrum, you use the right kind of goggles, you can see that light, right? To see and connect with God, the right kind of goggles are not the revelation. It's spiritual thinking. It's spiritual mindedness. It's awareness of Christ within you. It's a connection with what he has said is the truth and his presence always with you. I will always be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Those are the goggles that you put on to see more of God. Not get more of. See more of, right? I don't see you, God. Okay, well, how about this? Put these goggles on. I love you. I am with you. I am in you. I am your provider. I have delivered you from the power of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of me. All my promises are yes for you now. I have given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. Oh, yeah. Look at there. I see it now. I can see more of it now. You, you know, it's a thinking. It's, it's your mind. It's a filter in your mind. That, that creates a perceived disconnect from God. <clears throat> Quit being religious and thinking you've got to do something to connect to him. He's here. Live with him daily. Daily renew your mind of what he's done for you. Amen. Baptize your thinking <clears throat> in the truth that Christ is in you. Amen. There's such freedom in it. There's real power in that. You know, when you're free from the distraction of all the games that we play and you're just centered on the presence of God, man, it will teach you how to live out all those things that you've been trying to figure out how to do. Does that make sense? Because of Jesus. The cross worked. You're in him. And he's enough in you. Now trust that we're all going to walk out of here doing this. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much for freedom in you. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you didn't give up on us, that you sent a way that we can be absolutely directly forever connected to your heart, to your presence. May we never forget that you live within us. May that be the direction that our hearts and our minds turn when things get difficult, is who you are in us. 
May we look inward and see you rather than our shortcomings, rather than our pain, rather than our sin. When we look inward to analyze ourselves, may we see you so that that's what we reflect outwardly. Thank you that your spirit is alive, it is active, it is intelligent, it leads us by favor and gives us more than enough grace that we need to live a holy and righteous life. Thank you that we have peace with you, Father. Jesus, you're our God, you're our Lord, we love you. Is that your prayer?